Hebrews chapter 2 again this week. The title of the message is Christ's Enduring Word. I'd like to read verses 2 and 3, but I want to start with verse 1 so that we uh, remember the context in which they're giving. It's, uh, given, <clears throat> it says, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we meet together as those who are united in your Son, Jesus Christ, as the Catholic Church, the universal church that belongs to your Son. Lord, we meet this morning that we may praise and worship you, that we may give glory and ascribe honor and exalt the name of Christ above all names as it is due. Lord, we recognize that we are sinful man, each and every one of us. And Lord, that we stand in need of your great salvation. And as some gather today, Lord, and know and have this blessed assurance of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, there also be some, Lord, who do not know you, who may have heard, who may understand certain things, who may even admit that there is a God, but they have yet to bow the knee and to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray for those that they would receive this morning the knowledge of Christ that would bring them unto salvation, that by the power of your Spirit that you would draw them, Lord. And as they're being drawn, Lord, we pray that each and every one of us would be reminded of the service that we are to give to a fellow man, to the church, and ultimately to Jesus Christ. We have owed a great debt a debt that we continually incur, Lord, as we sin against you, the great and holy God. Lord, we also recognize that that debt is paid by Jesus Christ, and that we could never pay it back. We could never earn it. We could never deserve it, Lord, but you've given it so freely. This morning, let us be assembled with hearts of joy and hearts of worship and praise. Thanksgiving that we could proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is the all-sufficient Lamb of God, both man and God eternal. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 2, verses 2 and a portion of verse 3. Last week uh, we examined verse 1 and its command uh, was to heed the message of Jesus. Not only the words spoken of Jesus, but the message that the disciples brought of Jesus Christ. And this is the only message of salvation, so that by it we may understand that apart from this message, no man would be spared an eternal judgment in hell. But by the message, every man who believeth and, and respond to the gospel in faith, and in obedience and repentance, 
Man may be saved. Man may be reconciled to God. The particular instruction in verse 1 is to stay near the cross. In no uncertain terms, when it says we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away, the message is stay near the cross. This is the cross of Calvary. This is the cross on which Jesus Christ hung and bled and died that his blood may atone for the sins of mankind. And so in staying near to the cross, we understand that it it also implies that we trust in the cross. As the work that was done upon it is done so by the very Son of God who has taken upon himself the flesh of man was born of the Virgin Mary and that this Jesus Christ himself is very God. This is the gospel. But what gospel is it? In fact, we're warned by Paul and many of the other disciples that there is another gospel. There are many other gospels, but the truth is that there are only two gospels. There is one, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and then there are all other gospels that would fit the bill that would fall under the category of a false gospel. A gospel that is not Christocentric, that is not Christ-centered, but a gospel that is in fact man-centered. This is the true gospel. It was the gospel that the people who were receiving the text, the Hebrews, this is the one that they had previously heard. This is the message that they had previously received. This is made mention because it implies that there was a transformation brought about by the message. This transformation that would uh, allow this penman to write to the Hebrews as the bride of Christ. He may now write the letter as to those who are in Christ because the message had been effectual unto salvation. Simply put that this is the gospel that has saved them. This is the gospel for the modern church that has saved them as well. Not only Jews and Hebrews, but Gentiles. This is the message that we too have heard that we must be reminded of. But it seems that all too often the case is that once we realize salvation, once that we understand that Jesus Christ has paid for our sins, we tend to journey on to something else. This is by large what was spoken of as we watched the documentary last night. And I believe that the documentary would even further qualify the statement that I make here that human nature is so inquisitive that the flesh always wants what it doesn't have. Many here would be honest enough to attest that that's the truth. We always want to know what we are ignorant of. And sometimes that can prove to be something that is spiritually beneficial. That we want to go and understand something that we don't already understand. But sometimes we want to know what is not for us to know. We want to know those things that aren't building us up spiritually but are tearing down man as we give in to the flesh. So it's either that or either that we begin a quest to explore some new area of quote-unquote religion 
at the expense of forsaking that which first came to us. That's why the penman writes, we must pay closer attention because we're not paying close enough attention. And he says, to what we have heard, that which was brought to us initially, for if we do not, we may drift away. We have to remember constantly and be reminded of that message which has made us anew. The truth is that we battle against principalities and powers, and these powers employ our sinful nature as man to betray the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. That simple gospel being that Jesus Christ was lifted up, crucified for sins, that he was sufficient for all atonement. I believe the danger in this drifting away is that anything dangerous to anyone is sin. The true danger is always sin. Danger isn't death. It isn't disobedience. The danger is separation from God. Separation from Christ. We must be very careful that we do not by our own actions and by our, our giving into the flesh destroy the relationship that we seek to further with Christ. That we don't forsake the gospel that we claim to hold so dear so true I believe that all of sin also is rooted in idolatry that as we seek to satisfy our flesh we're actually seeking to lift ourselves up rather than Christ replacing something in place of God in place of Jesus Christ and this is the real danger idolatry Drifting causes one to move into self-ability or self-reliance based upon knowledge. Whereas in so much we know that we are foolish and weak according to the text of the Bible. But putting on display through these things the casualties of sin in our lives that we may somehow possess within our vessel the ability to save ourselves or that we may possess somehow within these earthen vessels something that we can obtain that would improve our spiritual condition. And the truth could be nothing further from that. In fact, our flesh, apart from the graces of God, is not even able to study the Scriptures, is not able to bring to remembrance anything that would cause us to be more like Christ, even from His Word. Therefore, we know that we have a great need for the cross and for the Savior who died upon the cross and for the Spirit of the Savior who brings to our minds the truths of Jesus Christ and reveals through discernment the effectual nature of the Word of God. Because of this, we have strayed from the Almighty hand. This is the hand that is able to hold, the hand that is able to sustain, the hand whose position is that who is whom is seated at the right hand of the Father. That means that we stray from the Savior. 
There's only two realities for man that he either be a goat or a sheep. The goat is certainly not found in the herd of the sheep. So therefore he is not near the Savior. But the reality for those who are considered the sheep, the flock, the fold of God is that they belong to Christ. Christ who in John chapter 10 is the good shepherd. But still remains that truth that even the sheep stray. Those who belong in a certain place to a certain person would wander. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. We sing it in the old hymns. The truth of the desperate nature of mankind to stray from Christ. But He is the one who Himself is prophet, priest, and king as we saw uh, all throughout the first chapter of the Hebrews. And how that is amazing is that all of that adds up to be that Jesus Christ is the intercessor. Jesus Christ is the one who speaks on behalf. If there is anyone pleading your case before God, it is not you, it is not your family, it is not your neighbor, but it must be Jesus Christ. The fact is, in a courtroom, a guilty man won't be able to defend himself, and that's what we are. But also... They're not going to let some lay person come in and represent you. It must be an attorney, if you will. It must be someone who knows the law. There's only one Jesus Christ. There's only one who knows the law and who represents the law, who has fulfilled the law. Therefore, we have established the fact that only Jesus Christ can represent. He is the intercessor for all man under the promises of the covenant which was made and purchased and propitiated by His blood alone. And now with such an alarm in the first verse of chapter 2, we understand that we are to be diligent and be vigilant that we not find ourselves drifting. We see again, an appeal here to the spiritual understanding of man regarding what he understands of angels. We saw the, the last half of chapter 1 speaking about Christ being exalted above the angels. But here again, we see another plea from the penman uh, to appeal to the people of the Hebrews that if you hold these angels in high esteem and consider the word, then consider the far more superior word that is of Jesus Christ. It's come by the lips of Christ, that's come by the work of Christ, that's come by the preaching of Christ. From the earliest disciples even to now, this same gospel to be proclaimed. And then we learn in chapter 1 that these angels are of lesser worth than Christ, who himself is always exalted above such created beings. And that Christ, by His character and His attributes, exhibits Himself as He should to be in above all manner higher in regards to those created beings which are His ministers, His angels. And so what we have here is the truth that Christ and Christ alone is sufficient. That the message of Christ 
has brought forth the truth of regeneration and that now we must be careful to hold on and to grasp this word. Not only that this word is contained in this book or this collection of books, but that the word is the living God, the living Jesus Christ. There's no other man who can save. There is no other God who is man And it's only Jesus Christ. So as we look closer to the text this morning, it says, For this reason we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It begins with, For if the word... The syntax proposed may seem to you at first to be a question as to if or not the word was actually spoken, but that's not at all the context here. He's bringing forth a rhetorical question to which we all know the answer. For if the word was spoken, it was spoken. This is what the Jews claim to believe, the spoken word of God that was handed down by the prophets by the apostles and many times by the mouths of angels. We have so many wonderful examples throughout the Old Testament, angels bringing messages, bringing the word of God, for they are, as they are described in Hebrews chapter 1, the ministering spirits of Jesus Christ, being those ministering spirits before Christ has even taken on himself the flesh of man. That means that the gospel has always been true. That from Genesis to Maps, we have a testimony that is concerning Christ the Savior before He is even born, that the angel's job is to minister the gospel. So we have this. For if the word, contextually we understand that it says, because the word was spoken. The spoken origin of this word or these words, these accounts of Jesus Christ were given and it was not to be questioned as it may seem, but rather it is to be counted as God given and historically accurate in its presentation to the peoples of God and its presentation through the preaching and proclamation of the word today. A truth that has in fact been said And it has been given and it is proclaimed this very word today. This word was not only given uh, as Hebrews chapter 1 described. It says that he spoke long ago in the prophets in many portions, in many ways. But it says in these last days that he's spoken to us through his son. So the word here was not just given by dream or vision nor by any other sign, but yet by the audible voice as it describes of angels, speaking of the Old Testament text. This is the voice that was coherently communicated and expressly declared, and it declared these things that are reserved for humankind and for the application to humankind only. That Jesus Christ be the origin, that God the Father himself be the origin of this word, And through the ministering spirits of Christ that may be given, the word of God 
given by the angels, the ministering spirits. And most directly, we can say that this word was given in the form of law. The greatest representation that we have of a word given was given by the angels. Acts chapter 7 verses 51 through 53. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. There's the text, a reference. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable. This is what we have from Acts chapter 7. Those who received the law, the word of God as it was delivered by angels, yet they denied it, they neglected it. Then we have Galatians chapter 3 verse 19. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of the transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. This is speaking of Christ. The law was added because of the transgressions of man until the seed to whom the promise referred had come until Jesus Christ. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. There it is again, another reference to the word given by the angels. So what we have going all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 33 is the engagement of angels toward men and their role in giving the law. The word here is the very law of God that according to Galatians chapter 3 reveals man's ultimate need. We have a lot of needs in our church. Mostly it seems to be health needs. We have people sick. We have people who have diseases and certain ailments that seem to be ongoing. We have people who have family issues, who have great need for reconciliation. But the truth is that this word, this law, reveals the greatest need of man, and that is for a Savior. That is for this one to whom the promise referred that is Jesus Christ. This reveals our need for a Savior. The angels are an agency of this mediator. The purpose again was man's sinfulness. The giving of the law. The idea that when we open the scriptures we're to look to its meaning. We're to look for its meaning. We're to look to its definition. For its definition. And we're to look for all of those things as they are rooted in the person and work of Christ. We're to open the scriptures to see how this relates to redemption. How it relates to providing reconciliation through the cross. Through that message which we have heard. Back to verse 1. To see the gospel in the scriptures is to see the Son of God. The Son that is Savior, the one who has come to serve and to forgive his people and to pay a debt for his bride that she may be reconciled to God, her transgressions being paid and her debt being canceled. 
as we see throughout the New Testament. Yet this means to understand redemption, we must first see our own selves and our own desperate need for a Savior. This is the place of the law to teach us that we are an iniquitous people, incapable of anything other than iniquity apart from Christ's continuous work in our hearts and the lives that we live through the finished work upon the cross. This is the word that is spoken through the angels that the men at the time, the Hebrew people, would consider unalterable. This is the perfect word of God that they claim to hold true to. This is the very word that we believe today. Serving the law serves no purpose. It makes you none better. It changes not your disposition with God. You're still separated lest you be in Christ. We see that there is no righteousness for man apart that it be for God in Christ. There is no righteousness for man by keeping the law. So it must serve a different purpose. You can't be justified by the law. It's stated that way many times throughout the New Testament epistles. So the law must have a different purpose. The purpose in the immediate context this morning was to engage the minds of the Hebrew people. And so for us today, it's to engage our minds to consider that the text that was transmitted through the angels, the text that we have before us, given by the prophets and the disciples and the apostles, this is the text that has been passed down from generation to generation. And they honored the authenticity that it might not be considered of anyone or, or of anywhere but from God in heaven. This is the message of the one and true Jesus Christ, God living, God crucified, both man and God, as we call him the God-man. This is the one true message of life in his name. That one must obey such commands, not that obeying the command makes you righteous or makes you a follower or a disciple or a Christian. This is not the idea, but that we must still obey. The penman is saying that you do not fear this word that you yourselves testify to be true of God. This is the word that you testify came from heavenly beings, the angels. Do you not acknowledge that you trample over such? And because of this, God has and will continue to bring great destruction and judgment that could only come from God himself. I mean, think about it. Who could bring a judgment of a great flood? No one. No one but God. The question that's being begged here about this spoken word is that do not these events and circumstances in your life substantiate the message of the angels 
And is it one to be reverently considered? And has it proceeded from the mouth of God? And that by it you should live? The answer is certainly. Certainly it has. The writer is saying that you do not by your own words and actions, do you not attest to the fact that the message of angels is binding upon man? Have you not declared that? That even as it comes from the angels, it is binding that you must follow it? And furthermore, in your receiving it, did it not reveal first your transgressions, those things that were perhaps in your ignorance, offenses against God? And then as you realize that you are doing these things that are offensive, these transgressions against God, that you continued now willfully, and this is the disobedience. Unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. Do you not attest that these things are true? That you received this penalty for your transgressions and your disobedience? You're willfully sinning against God after you've been made aware? Have you willfully neglected these heinous crimes that in the recent past have been revealed? And that they are towards the only holy and just one of Israel? God Almighty. And in doing these things, do you not attest, Hebrew people, that you are bringing upon yourself the wrath of He whom by you by who were you were created? This is the Jesus Christ. You're sinning against the one who has created you, the one who is now saying you're going to hell as you sin against me, as you commit every transgression and wicked iniquity. And by it, I will reveal these things to you so that you may escape the wrath of God, and yet you still deny it. He says, I've given you my word now. You know where your sin lies. You know where your heart lies. You know the desires of your flesh. You know those things, as Paul says, that you ought not to do, but you do anyway. I've made you aware. What is your excuse now? Because you continued in disobedience. And is this not being the judgment that is all to us agreeably a righteous judgment on behalf of God. Romans 2 says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to His works to those who... By patience and well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. The truth is that the law is given and that by it no one will be justified but that every man is now made aware 
He's given a conscience. He's made aware of God's perfect standard, what he expects. He doesn't expect Sunday morning service. He doesn't expect merely Wednesday night gathering. He expects complete, holy, and righteous living. He expects repentance. He expects that we flee from sin. That we escape the desires of the flesh. That we say no. That we love the Christ in whom we serve. But the question is, if this is the spoken word, which you say it is, because this is the spoken word, spoken of angels, and it's unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Verse 3 is saying, if judgment comes to those under the previous covenant, those who are under the law, if judgment comes, those apart from Christ, should not now the same end remain? Should not now the same judgment continue if the God that you believe in is unchanging and he punishes sin? Will he not continue still to punish those who don't keep the law, which is every man since Adam? To summarize the question from verse 3, say this, that the old covenant that was given by the angels, if it was one that if you betrayed, you were sentenced to the wrath and the judgment of God, how much more so will it be true if you neglect the message of salvation that is now brought in Christ? Brought by the last prophet, the greatest prophet, the living prophet, revealing by his word and by his power and by his spirit the truths that were ministered. What the penman is saying in Hebrews chapter 2 is that if you think that the words and spoken from the angels is the word of God, and if you thought that you would be judged if you didn't keep them, how much so Worse will the judgment be if you listen and receive the word of Christ that has brought to you everlasting life, that is bringing a repentant change of the heart, that is bringing regeneration. How much more so will the judgment be? How much worse shall it be? If you think the word of the angels is so holy, why are you betraying the word of God? Why are you being so quickly drawn away? We must pay much closer attention. We saw throughout the Hebrews the fact that it was repeated over and over through the text. Jesus Christ in his office of prophet, priest, and king. How so? But the text deals with it when it says, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. The truth is that there was no salvation under the law apart from Jesus Christ. No Old Testament saint was even saved apart from Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ paid for the sin debt of Abraham, of Moses, of Noah, of Samson, of David, of all the men before him. Jesus Christ paid the debt. And so the question is, how can you receive the message of angels and deny the message of Jesus Christ? For he has been the prophet. Not only has he come to be a savior, but he preached that he was the savior. 
He proclaimed that he was the son of God. He proclaimed that we cannot be justified by the law because we have no ability to keep the law. And then he was the priest because Christ, in his office as priest, offered himself up a sacrifice. Acceptable to God. No other sacrifice is eternally acceptable. The sacrifices of, and the blood of bulls and goats had to be repeated and repeated and repeated. But the sacrifice of Christ is eternal. It was all sufficient for all sin, past, present, and future. And then we see that Christ, again in the Hebrews, is executing the office of king. We even, in the back of our Psalms of Sovereign Grace, have our catechism questions. And it says that Christ executed the office of a king in subduing us to himself. In ruling and defending and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. If this is to be considered as it has been, the truly inerrant, unchanging, irrevocable word of God as it was given by the angels, then certainly must the message coming from the Savior himself be considered in the same light. I want to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5-10. through 10. It says, This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day, he will be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. This is the testimony that we have heard that we must pay much closer attention to. And so when it's all boiled down, we have two people represented we have those who trust in Christ unto salvation and those who are dead in their sins and trespasses. And I'll present it this way this morning. You may be saved. You may think that you're saved. Or you may know that you're lost. But this is the message of the law given by the angels. You have broken every point. In every way, you fall short before a just and holy God. This is the purpose of the law. But then the message says, how can we disobey this? Should we not receive a just penalty? And how, if so, can we escape and neglect a great salvation? This is the message that we heard. The message of Jesus Christ is the gospel that as you sit in your pew and you look at the law and you recognize that you are a sinner, not just once, not twice, but every day, but daily you're a sinner. Daily you have many needs and you go and think, God, if I just had this, if I just had that, what it's saying is you need Jesus Christ. 
Forget all the other stuff. If you want to work on all the other things, you better start at the cross. You better start with yourself. There's no help. There's no remedy. There's no cure. Unless it be in Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel is this. Heed the word of God. Recognize that we are sinners. Recognize that there is a need for Christ in our life. And not just a need to say, yes, I believe in God. Because what does Christ himself say? He says, in that day, many will say, do we not prophesy in your name? Lord, Lord. Do we not cast out demons? Did we not do many mighty works? And he'll say, you never knew me. The gospel is to know Jesus Christ. Not to know of Christ, but to intimately know and walk with Christ. The gospel is not to say, I believe that there is a God, but the gospel is to serve God. And I'm not talking about Sundays and Wednesdays. I'm talking about every moment, every opportunity. You have problems. They're due to sin. Even health problems. Now, don't take it the wrong way. I'm not one of those people that says because you've done this sin, you have cancer. But what I'm saying is the consequences of man as he will die, as the flesh decays, as these bodies tear apart is because of Adam's sin and because of God's promise that in the day that you eat, dying you shall die. Surely you shall die. But there's also a great truth that when you come to Jesus Christ, when you serve Christ, when you truly, and it's not embarrassing to admit that you need Christ. There's nothing embarrassing about it. The most embarrassing thing is to need Christ and be too ashamed to say it out loud. When we look into the, the synoptic gospels and then we move on to John, there's a portion of scripture that said many of the people came to believe that Christ was who he said he was. But for fear of the Jews, they would not profess him publicly. There was no salvation because they were too scared. The problem is idolatry. Fearing people more than we fear God. More than we fear the judgment of these transgressions and this disobedience. So if you're sitting there and you realize that you have a great need for Jesus Christ, that you have issues that cannot be fixed of this world, spiritual problems, separation from God, the fires of hell waiting. It's a wonderful time to seek the text of these scriptures, to see that Jesus Christ is prophet, priest, and king. And not just see that he is that, for many see even those things. But few walk with Christ. The call of the gospel this morning is to not neglect the salvation of Jesus Christ. Not to take for granted, not to drift away. But to remember with every breath that you need Jesus Christ. That you need a change. Money won't buy it. Happiness doesn't get you to heaven. But salvation in Jesus Christ brings you something better than money and happiness. It brings you joy. Eternal joy. And that's not the best part. The best part is that you're not separated from Christ. Christ was a living, breathing 
and is a living, breathing man who because of my sin, because of your sin, went to the cross willingly. I'm going to tell you something that may hurt a lot of people's feelings. Your dad may not go to the cross for you had he had the opportunity. Your spouse may not have died upon the cross. Your children, your best friend, when it all boils down to it, not a good chance that they would go to the cross. But greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. Jesus Christ went. And he wasn't thinking, I'm just going to go to this cross so that I can ascend back to my heavenly throne. But he was saying, that Tim's going to hell. That Pat's going to hell. Jimmy is going to hell unless I go to this cross. If Christ can go to the cross, how can we not come to our knees in service to one another, in service to the church? How can we let foul language come from our mouths? How can we serve the flesh that crucified Jesus Christ on the cross? If in hearing the truth of Jesus Christ, you're convicted of sin, it's a wonderful thing. If you have questions, uh, feel free to come to myself or to Brother Sean, or Pat or Charlie or James if, they're, if it's later in the week. But don't be ashamed of your need because everyone here has needed Jesus Christ. Everyone here continues to need Jesus Christ. The danger is that if you leave here today and have no desire to hear His Word, have no desire to behave according to biblical mandate, have no desire to put others above yourself, that's the danger. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before you once again, and we have read of the message given of angels, and then we see, according to your first chapter, Lord, that no longer is that message given, but that message is given and was given by the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. It is now shown to the world in his blood. Lord, a historical event that can never be suppressed. A biblical truth that will never be forgotten, but will be proclaimed eternally. Lord, let us be a part of that. Let us be those saints that will rejoice at the coming of our Lord. Those who will truly look upon death and say, where is your sting? For we have the great healer, the great Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, this day let us be given to him and to him alone. Lord, let us not be taken away by the things of this world, by relationships, by money or greed. Lord, but we ask this day that you would hold us captive to the cross.
forever worshiping and exalting our Savior. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.